Welcome to Parenting Well Podcast with Parent Engagement Network. I am Dr. Shelley Mann, your host, and today you're listening to Parenting Well, where we know that parenting well is challenging and that all parents are the best parents they know how to be. We firmly believe that the foundation for raising happy, healthy youth is for us as parents to fill our own well with useful, reliable, credible information, tools, and strategies. So let's fill that well. Today's well source is Wendy Van Beeson. Wendy is a positive psychology practitioner and IPEC certified coach who also specializes in the Energy Leadership Index and is recognized as a core well-being dynamic specialist. Wendy made a major career shift after more than 20 years in marketing strategy and organizational development. After experiencing some of her own setbacks, she chose to transform her business into her passion for performance and resilience coaching. Wendy is a New Jersey resident and the keynote speaker for our upcoming Stress and Anxiety Symposium here in Boulder on the 25th and 26th of January. Thank you so much for being here with us today. Oh, it's so nice to be here, Shelley. Thank you so much for inviting me. I really appreciate it. Of course. I can't wait to hear what you have to share. Um, and I know that with your expertise and background in resilience, maybe that's where we should start. Um, can you tell us what you mean by resilience? Sure. When, I, when we think about resilience, it's basically about overcoming any challenge or adversity that we face, whether it's trauma or catastrophic or every day. Okay, so um, I love that you said that, and I, I listened to one of your videos that's available online, and I think that oftentimes when we talk about resilience, we talk about like, bend, don't break, or how to come back from a major setback, and I, I remember one of the things you saying was that you use resilience every day in your life in just day-to-day -day activities, so can you share a little bit about that? Sure, and I when I, we think about resilience, there is something that happens that's catastrophic or a trauma, whether it's a death or an illness, and that's something that happens singularly, and then we need to learn how to get through that or, or work through those situations. But everyday resilience is we have disturbances and challenges that we face every day, whether it's trying to get our kids off to school or whether it's how to manage both work and family life or you're late to an, a doctor's appointment or you get stuck behind a school bus and you're getting you're running to try to get to a work meeting these are things that can accumulate over a period of time and that in and of itself can cause us both stress and anxiety so how do we deal with these situations on an everyday basis yeah and you know as as you mentioned stress and anxiety is such a huge part of everybody's life you know and we're seeing it in kids as young as three years old where they're struggling with anxiety and so where do we start how do we build that kind of day-to-day -day resilience as a parent trying to help our children manage normal life that is like the supreme question right and I think it's not just about parents but it's everyone like how do we approach our lives and I think that's one of the reasons that I went back to become a certified coach also learn the tenets of what I would call positive psychology. Because to build resilience, it's about looking at the situation and understanding what is really in front of us. What, what is it that we are present to? And then more importantly, what are the elements that we can control and what we can't control? Because so many elements that we can't control are based on fear. It's a, a based on this overwhelm. And if we could just step back and reframe situations, it might be helpful then to say, okay, how are we going to move forward? 
what, what can we do to affect the situation very positively? And by doing that, that is how we build resilience on a daily basis. I love that. And I'm wondering for our parent listeners out there, what are some concrete things that a parent can do to help their child develop that ability? Well, I think it is about stepping back. For instance, and I can give you a, a situation for my daughter who was a senior. So she was a senior at the time in high school and applied early decision and did not get into the school that she wanted. And so what did we do? We first said, Lex, it is a really hard situation and we are really sorry. However, there are many other schools that are out there for you. And there are many other schools that you're going to be able to really provide and add value to that campus. So let's really remember what the situation is. Yes, it may not have been your number one school, but there are plenty of them that are out there. And so what did we do? We reframed the situation. We reframed and said, okay, yes, let's acknowledge that this isn't what the outcome that we wanted, but how can we make this then more of a positive outcome? And might I suggest the school that she went to, fabulous, had the most amazing time, amazing friends, amazing academic experience. And so I do think we have a choice. We can look at it as a positive situation, or we can look at it as a negative situation. And I, so I think even with friends, and I, and I know this advent of social media right now, especially for kids that are in elementary school and middle school and in high school and how meaningful it is, what happens when you're not invited to a party? What happens if you're not uh, like on Facebook? And those are really challenges. And I think the opportunity is to step back and say, hmm, not everyone can be invited to everything. And it's also about can we teach our children how to fish where they're wanted? Go to where there's a group of people that really want you, that like you. And how can we shift and reframe that? I'm not saying it's easy. And I'm not saying I'm not taking away from any of that hurt and pain. And I can tell you, my daughter was crying that night. And we let her cry because grief is a part of it. But resilience is then about what are we going to do thereafter and how, we're, how are we going to lift ourselves back up? Mm, yeah, not letting something take you out of the game completely. Correct. Yeah. Correct. You know, you said something else I thought was really powerful. When you were talking to her, you said there are plenty of other schools where you can add your own contribution. Correct. Which is another reframing. It is, because oftentimes that we think that we are at the beck and call of something else. That something else happens and then we respond to it. I would like to shift that conversation, which is how proactive can we be? What are the actions we can take to affect that change? And what is it that we can do to make our own lives better in any situation? I use this a lot, which is we have a choice. We can live life by default or by design. How are we going to choose to live our life? And so in that situation, it was like, okay, we can default to pain and grief, and we should, right? There's no way you're going to go through something like this and say, oh, it's happy days are here again. But then the opportunity thereafter is, okay, what are you going to do about it now? Your character is not going to be defined by what happens to you. It's going to be defined by how we respond. And so what is it that she can then give to the campus? And indeed, she gave a lot. And there's the saying the Franciscans will say, it's in the giving we receive. You know, I, I do believe it's in the giving that we receive. And 
she got that message. That's amazing. I had an interesting situation with my daughter where she got accepted to an, an exchange program mm -hmm. and she wanted to go to a warm Spanish speaking country and they sent her to Finland. Yeah. We had a kind of a, a similar conversation of what yeah. are you going to do to make this a great experience for you? How can we support you in that? How can we set up your, where you go work out, you know, all the things that you like to have in your normal day-to-day -day life. But you know what she did as, and I think this is that day-to-day -day resilience and also that training that you can help coach them through. She ended up making friends with all the people from Spanish-speaking countries that got placed in Finland. And she ended up awesome. building a really amazing group of friends. So right. Sometimes things happen for a reason, even when it's not your desired outcome. When it's not over there, right? And when it's not necessarily out there. And that's also how we build coping in our children. I think what I've seen now, especially in some of the schools, you know, we want to fix. We're a society that wants to go in and fix. And I'm not using this in generalities, but it's an idea that pain is not good. I'm not suggesting that pain is good, but what I am suggesting is, the way to build coping mechanisms is to have things not turn out exactly the way we want them to. And then what are we going to build? And like anything else, when we go to the gym, we build the muscle. What's well, the same thing? We build coping mechanisms. We build resilience by dealing with these everyday disturbances, whether they're big or small, and then how we're going to kind of move forward with that. So how would you say someone does build resilience? We talked a little bit about stepping back and really reframing the situation. Do you have any mm -hmm. other things that you could share about, you know, how do you build resilience and how do you support your children in building resilience? I actually have a framework that I put together. I'm going to answer that question. I'm going to step back, though, to show you how I got there because it's sure. really based on, and as an educator, I think you'll appreciate this anyway, and especially for the audience, everything that I'm talking about now is based on research. It's research that's been proven by social scientists. Essentially, the way I became curious about these questions were I wanted to understand why people could similarly have stresses, but one be positive and one be negative. Why is it that someone could go through a similar situation and one look at the glass half filled and optimistic and the other pessimistic? And so this set me on my own personal search that led me down this path to positive psychology which was started by a gentleman by the name of Dr. Martin Seligman out of the University of Pennsylvania in the late 1990s. And what he said, and he's a psychologist himself, he said, well, instead of looking at people and what's wrong with people, let's look at what's right with people and let's lead into people's strengths. And so it was, a, believe it or not, it was a totally different idea at that point. And so there was study that was done over five years, 196 countries, 4 million people. And basically, they cataloged people's strengths. There were seven virtues at the top versus 24 strengths at the bottom. And the idea was, can we tap into these individual strengths? And by tapping into people's strengths, can they then build resilience? And so when I first found out about that, I was like, this is awesome. Like, I want to really understand this. And so not only did I study Dr. Martin Seligman, but I studied different types of religions. And I went and studied with some of the masters. And I studied really successful people, business people, academics, wellness experts. And so after aggregating all this information, I came up with what I would call my resilience framework. 
And so it's basically very simple four parts. And the first is to be present in the situation. Really be present to what's happening now. Not to ruminate about what's happened in the past and not to worry about what's going on in the future. Be present to what is happening right at the here and now. Step two is understand then what is really controllable and what isn't controllable. And anything that's not controllable, try to push away. Because fear, anxiety, that's what causes that overwhelm, but we, we can't control it. The third part is to reframe a situation if possible. To try to look at a challenge as an opportunity. What can I learn from this? Why is this being put in front of me right now? What are the greater lessons I can take? And then the fourth is living with gratitude. Study after study has shown that living with gratitude increases happiness, decreases depression. And that doesn't mean like, oh, I'm so happy today. Like, I'm just going to be just happy for the sake of being happy. No, it's about living with gratitude. It's understanding I'm able to have this incredible cup of tea right now, talking to a wonderful woman. How great is that? Like, I am present to this certain situation right now. And if we could all just even step back, it's raining outside. Great, so the grass is getting watered. Oh, it's sunny out there. You know, or, and I'm not talking about just being happy for the sake of being happy. It's really living and abiding by that. There's this saying, fake it till you make it. There's actually truth to that. They've now done studies that have shown if you fake it and you continually try to move your perspective, it will shift and it will change and it will increase your energy. So those are the four parts of my resilience framework. I love that. And I think that the whole fake it till you make it concept is you start to live into what you think is possible. Exactly. That's amazing. So recently I watched a video where you talked about your personal flourishing test and it sounds like that's a way that you can sort of tell if someone has resilience. What is that personal flourishing test? Oh, thanks so much for asking about that, Shelly. I, I love this test. So the, the personal flourishing slash resilience test is, think about if you had like a backpack on your back. And that backpack is filled with rocks. Each rock is perceived as a challenge or a problem or an issue you might have. And if you have a bad day at work, you better throw a, a rock in that backpack, right? You have a fight with your mother. That's maybe one rock. And a fight with your mother-in-law, that's two rocks. (laughs) And you're late for an appointment, add another rock. Well, pretty soon, that backpack is really heavy. So if you're weighed down and you can't stand up straight, well, maybe we're not as resilient as we need to be or can be. And so then the question I'm asked, especially as a coach, and what I help clients do is, well, how do we get those rocks out of the backpack? And that's a really good question, right? And there's actually two parts of that, which is how do we get the rocks out of the backpack, but how do we prevent the rocks from getting in there in the first place, (laughs) right? Because there's there's two parts to that. So let's get the rocks out of the backpack. The first is to identify what are the rocks that are not really servicing you or helping you. That would be guilt, unnecessary stress. And so what we would do is we identify, well, what isn't? helping and working with you and we then reach into that backpack and we take the rock out and we drop the rock and then the second is to prevent the rocks from getting in there in the first place which we just touched on a little bit 
And that could be really identifying then, okay, what is really the current situation? What is going on here? Your boss is calling you into a meeting. You don't really know what the meeting is about. Well, if you tend to be a little bit more on the negative side, maybe you're thinking it's not a great meeting. Or it really could be something that maybe, who knows, maybe you're going in for a promotion. So the idea is to say, what are the true facts in front of me? We don't have anything. The fact is, your boss has asked you to come to a meeting. That's it. So let's not ruminate and let's not kind of what I would call MSU, which is make shit up. We don't want to make shit up, right? And that's how we can prevent some of those rocks from getting in there. And then the third really part of the backpack is let's strengthen your back because we all carry rocks. There's no way that everyone is not carrying some rocks on their backpack. But what can we do to strengthen? What are the tools and skills to build resilience? How can we look at situations differently? What is it that we need to do to build that muscle so that whatever rocks we have on our back, we can stand up straight and walk down the street? It makes it a very concrete way to think about some of the things in your life that aren't working for you instead Mm -hmm. of just trying to push through. Right. Because pushing through is settling. Pushing through is compartmentalizing our life versus this idea of resilience, which is to accept the situation, actually become aware of what the situation is, like be aware of what's happening, accept that it is happening, and then make a conscious choice. What is it that we're going to do? How are we going to respond? How are we going to look at the situation and say, okay, what, what is it that I, what's the outcome, preferred outcome that I want? And how am I going to help make that happen? I'm guessing that for a lot of people, there's some pretty well-established patterns already in place in terms of how they respond and react to the world. So as a personal coach, where do you start with people? I mean, I assume and understand that you start where they're at because everybody's going to be different. But um, how do you... How do you help somebody learn to even recognize those things and then move toward taking out things in their life that aren't working for them and building on their strengths? That is the most awesome question. I love that question. And I I might geek out a little bit, but I love the neuroscience. (laughs) I do this. So I I hope you don't mind, just for a little bit. (laughs) It's a great question, which is how do you teach someone? The idea is really begins with awareness. But the awareness comes by what happens in the brain. So we have the prefrontal cortex, which is basically our executive functioning. It's how we make decisions. Then you have the limbic part of the brain, which is our emotional. It's like how we feel and think and our relationships. And then at the back end is the amygdala. And it's, the amygdala is our fight, flight, or freeze response. So when something happens to us, we normally have what's called an amygdala hijack. It's where we normally go. So there is a stimulus, something happens, and there's a response. This response, this habit has started from the time we are babies, like children. Think about like if for our parents, our kids are at the playground and someone takes their shovel, like let's say they're at the sandbox or whatever. Well, what is the response? The child can have a a temper tantrum. They can fight or they can flee or they can do something. So this becomes habit over time and that habit is something called the default mode. And that default mode happens immediately and we are unaware of it. So my job as a coach and to help clients and what we can do as parents to help our children is to say, 
This is the stimulus. And before we go into the response, let's take a pause. And what's a pause? A deep breath. Literally. Just by taking three deep breaths, it slows the entire parasympathetic system. We go into a cooler space. And so for me, as a, as a coach, I ask people, okay, what's the stimulus? I have people start journaling. What, how is it that they want to respond? Great, put that down, and then we go over what might have been a different response. How is another way of looking at the situation? What might that other person be thinking about? And so holistically, we step back and say, what is the truth of the situation? There's a capital T, which is the ultimate truth is, and there's the little t, which is how we're thinking about it. And that's based on what our limiting beliefs are, our assumptions, our interpretations. And this is really coaching, it's parenting, it's everything. We can help our children by helping them look at situations differently by taking the pause. And that's why meditation right now has been proven because that pause is truly meditation, whether it's three deep breaths, five minutes, 20 minutes, whatever it is. But that's where it really begins. That's great. And very easy to do and very easy to use. Mm -hmm. Exactly. This can be really effective both for incidents that happen that cause stress or anxiety where you need to kind of be resilient. But it can also be extremely helpful for those repeated issues that show up in your life. Like for example, if you have a particular pattern with a parent, so yes. every single time you see your parent, one of you goes into your role, the other one goes into the other role, you have this negative interaction, and it's so programmed in you that you just continue to have that same interaction. So it seems like it's a great strategy that you could both reflect back on something that has happened that's yes. a major incident and say, I want to make these changes in my life, and these are things that continue to show up for me over and over again. And that's um, very uh, intuitive and ingenious because that's exactly it. We have triggers, right? That's how we get to our response. And it's also, it's, we know how to push someone's buttons, and we push those that are closest to us, right? And so the idea now is, if we can identify through awareness what that button pushing looks like, then we can have a different response. And just by shifting that ever so slightly, it can change the tenor of every single relationship. It, it takes practice, though. It's not easy. If it was easy, everybody would be doing it. But the key is to becoming aware of it and then to identify, okay, what is it that I might do differently? And then just try it. Like, just try and see, like maybe your child comes home and they don't want to do their homework and like you're battling about doing the homework and say, okay, you know, all right, when, when do you want to do your homework? Okay. What happens then if you don't do your homework? What are the repercussions that you're going to choose? Right? That's one way. I'm not saying any of these work because I don't, I don't know. Everyone's individual. That's one way. Another way might say, hey, like say my mom's talking, my dad's talking to me. Wendy, you know what? We've been battling about homework. I'm not going to say anything for the next week, and you're going to be on your own. That's very challenging. What's going to happen? I'm either going to sink or I'm going to swim. But guess what? If I don't do well, I have to. that's my responsibility. In the end, I'm held accountable to that by my teachers in school. So if we're battling and if we're fighting all the time and we want to shift that, our children may not be. If I'm battling with a friend or having a disagreement with a friend, that's not going to change. I have to change. 
And so it's, that's what I help people do, and that's what I help parents do with their children and clients as well. That reminds me of the, the concept that you can't control other people, you can only control yourself. And for Correct. a parent, the sooner that you start to help your children see that they ultimately need to be in control over what they want the outcomes to be in okay. the small ways as you're raising them so that when they're out in the big world, they have some skill in that. Yes, and they have to have some skin in the game because if we're the only ones that are having skin in the game, they're not going to be successful anyway because they're not going to have coping skills. They're not going to have an understanding of what happens when something doesn't go exactly the way they want it to. Yeah, exactly, which is going to happen more than once. <laughs> oh, absolutely. So as you've been on this journey, who have been some of your mentors and teachers? Oh, I've had a lot. I've had so many of them. I love them all. Brene Brown goes to the very top. I love her. I think the work that she's done on vulnerability, on daring greatly, on understanding that the only way to truly live is to by living life in the arena. What she calls the arena is if we are not living full out, not necessarily living to live, but, but having this idea that we don't have to always be successful, that we can learn along the way. I just, I think she's brilliant. Um, along that sideline is also Carol Dweck, who wrote the book on mindset. And her book was on performance versus um, growth mindset. And so the performance is, I can only put myself out there if I'm a perfectionist and I'm going to be 100%. Versus this growth mindset, which is, huh, I'm going to really try my best. I'm going to lean in and I'm going to grow from every different experience. Well, living in a growth mindset relieves us of this perfectionism, which I think is pervasive in our society right now, and just allows us to kind of live back, lean back and say, okay, what am I going to learn from that? So the two of them have been um, some of my great mentors. I love um, Paul Ben-Shahar, who is the professor at Harvard. He teaches the happiness. Um, he teaches the happiness class, but in the end, it's really not happiness. It's really about how to look at life. He has a model called SPIRE, S-P-I-R-E, and it's about living your life with spirituality, um, physicality, interrelationships, emotional relationships, and it's about how we can holistically look at ourselves and make sure that we're living our each of those areas in an optimized way. So those would be like my top three. I have several more, but I'm not sure we have the time because we're all that. I do a lot of book recommendations. So. Yeah, that's great. I mean, the one last one, which I think might be interesting, if I might, um, is Kristen Knapp um, has done the preeminent research right now on self-compassion, and her book is actually called Self-Compassion. I think for both parents and, and kids and clients and myself, it's a great book because it allows us to think about this perfectionism differently. Like we show compassion to our friends, to our family. Let's show a little compassion to ourselves as well. Yeah. And all of these things that you're talking about from these amazing people who've studied this really for a long time, um, all of these things are some of the foundations to resiliency. You can't be resilient if you can't have self-compassion. Yeah. And I think that's where we really begin in many ways, which is really can we have self-compassion for ourselves? Because things, I think in the end, by not having resilience, we want things to be, we want to control things. We want to control outcomes. We really have very little, as you aptly said, 
we we have very little control. The only thing we do have control over are our own emotions and feelings. Right. So where have you seen in your life that you've had to be resilient? Oh, that's a really good question. The way I came to resilience is I've had some health challenges in my life. So I am not just a one-time cancer survivor or a two-time cancer survivor. I've actually had cancer three times. And I think with each of the times that I've experienced that, I developed resilience in a different way. And what I realized is that I really needed to build resilience. Otherwise, I was not going to come through the situation. And again, it's, I'll use Brene Brown's analogy. You know, I'm, I'm in the muck. You know, I am making decisions about types of chemotherapy and radiation and having to talk to my two young daughters the first time I had it, cancer, which they were five and seven at the time. And it's about, okay, am I going to let this crumble? Am I going to, you know, fall down or am I going to pick myself up? And each time with a lot of help, a lot of mentors, some great professionals and medical professionals and an incredible support system. I had family and friends that came through you know, I, that is actually how I built resilience. Mm. You know, something you just said strikes me, and that is that we can't build resilience on our own. We really need to have the support of people around us. Exactly. Exactly. And we can choose to have people around us. It's the people that we choose. It's about going to the people that make us feel good. You know, we all are, I'm sure you have felt this too, you know, you, you enter a room with people and there's certain people that you gravitate towards, right? Because their energy is just fabulous. It's like, wow, I really want to be around them. And then, you know, there's certain people that are just not as energetic. And it's not necessarily about their intonation or their voice. It's just like their being. Like, they're more like an Eeyore, like a Winnie the Pooh Eeyore. And so it's about choosing that and figuring out who you want to be around and who you want to emulate and also tapping into that. And I, I'm so grateful. I mean, I have great friends. I have great family. I have great doctors. And I think it's by uh, that grace that I'm here today. Yeah. And as parents who are struggling with things or they're watching their children struggle with things and they're wanting to have this be an opportunity and a learning experience, being able to look outside and say, who are our best resources? Who are the people that I can talk to and the places that I can go for help? And I know that that is sometimes a big challenge for parents because it's easy to mm -hmm. suck into yourself and feel alone in that whole process. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And that's where I think Brene Brown's seminal work is so fantastic because she talks about vulnerability and vulnerability being a strength. I mean, I think that was really, for me, I mean, if I can just get a little personal, I think that that was really the first um, step for me building resilience, which is I can't do it alone. I'm, I, I, I don't have all the answers, and it's okay if I don't. It was like the self-compassion. Okay, so if I don't, where am I going to go to? Who are the experts? Who can I learn from? Who do I want to emulate, you know? And how can I give back then? Like, what is it that I can do to give back, which is why I'm doing what I'm doing now, which is hopefully helping other people that may not be exactly in my situation. Because as I've talked to other people, people will come up to me, wow, I, I don't have any right to be going through what I'm going through. You've had cancer three times. And I'll say, oh, absolutely not. This is not about relativity. 
my stress is different than someone else's stress. It is about what is relative, what's going on in your world, because it, it is happening to you. So it doesn't have to be um, mine is better or worse. We're all in this together, and so and we're all feeling it. So reach out and get the help, you know, because it's out there. Resources are definitely out there. Yeah, you do a lot of work around leadership, and I was personally curious how you would say that resilience and leadership blend. Leadership and, and resilience, I think, are actually very much aligned and performance because leadership is not necessarily just about engaging in a whole team. It's leadership within yourself. It's are you living in to your best self? And that's how I really define leadership. Well, there's several different ways. I have actually worked with parents, and I've actually worked with a lot of millennials and high schoolers as well because it's hard. There's, there's a lot of stress and overwhelm. And it's about, okay, how can we separate what we think others want versus what it is you want? And it's tricky to kind of get down to sometimes, what, what is it that you want? It's, it's hard to identify that. And so the way I do that is questions, identifying what future goals are, what are the objectives, you know, where, where do you feel happy? We've talked a little bit about strengths before. People don't know that they're, what their strengths are because they're strengths. It comes really easy to them. So what a lot of people will do is we'll work on the, what their opportunities are, their what we, someone could call weaknesses. They're not really weaknesses, but what isn't necessarily strength, but it's can we tap into someone's strength? So I think leadership is not just about leading teams, but it's living with in continuity with who you are. And then you can show up for a team in a way that's authentic and people will exactly. like to work with you. And I assume that was a big part of your previous career. It was. It, def it definitely is. And so what I find myself doing now is I am working with leaders in organizations and their teams, but I'm also still having my private clients because where's my, like, what's my why? You know, when I ask, I ask clients, you know, high school, what's your why? Like, what do you want to do? Why do you want to do this? Or an executive, why, why are you in this? My why is when I see an aha and I see people like just feeling better. And I've actually had people around town come to me and say, hey, Wendy, I dropped a rock today. And I had five of them. And he's like, drop the rock. And if I can help people take their rocks out, I had a lot of rocks in my backpack. I still carry a few. I will always carry my few. But I feel so much better. If I can have other people feel so much better, oh, that's like the joy of life. So since our podcast really focuses a lot on parents, and we're talking about a skill really, building and developing resilience, and this skill is such an important part of being able to be functional, happy, deal with conflict, all the things that, that we embrace every day in life. If you were just going to give parents advice about how they can show up for their kid, Mm -hmm. What advice would you have for them? Number one, I think, uh, listen. The key ingredient is to listen, really listen. And it's not just try to help people get to understand that there's usually two different conversations going on. There's the conversation of the words that are being spoken, and then there's the underneath of what potentially is, what do we call the thing behind the thing. It's like a question is asked or something is said, but it's what's, what's really the, the ticking here? And so, um, in fact, I just read a book called Reconstructing uh, Amelia, and it was a book, it's fiction, 
but it really is about how certain situations kind of roll into something else and we don't have control over we don't control but it is about stepping back and I think listening to your child first the second is if there is a situation that is not working a habit that is formed try to figure out what is it that I can do different what is it that's affecting you know my daughter my son and how can I show up differently because more likely than not the daughter and son is not going to be able to they don't have the skills in which to do that but if you can do it, that's great, and be able to, to kind of step back. And the third is gain help. There's a lot of resources out there. If certain situations are not working, school counselors, coaches, you know, friends, find out who's doing something differently and why it works for them. And then the fourth is to really just ask a lot of questions. I find that people, if you ask your child, like, questions, and I have them thinking, I don't know. All right, well, you don't know. Why don't you think about it and come back to me? Just see, maybe like Neander, try to figure out what is really going on in their head that might really help as well. I love that. I think as a parent, sometimes that whole holding the silence, letting it just be quiet, like ask a question, oftentimes kids don't answer right away. And it's okay to just sit in silence for a minute. But it's a powerful. I mean, it, it's palatable to feel that. And it's great to be, especially if you're driving in the car, whoo, that silence is great. There's no, there's no way to go. I love, I love those car rides. Yeah, exactly. Great opportunities for conversations or silence. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, is there anything else that you would want to leave parents with today about resilience? Well, you know, we've had this incredible conversation, so thank you. You're such a great interviewer. Um, I would suggest that I don't want this to sound like it's easy. Resilience is hard. Resilience is done after time and after trying things and seeing what works and what doesn't work. It is, I, I, um, I try to practice it every day. Certain days are better than others, truly. And when they aren't, then I have show myself some self-compassion. And then I look at, what did I learn today? What can I do differently in the next situation? So I think it's about um, letting go and surrendering. Also, that trust the process. It's out there. And oftentimes, we want to move the chess pieces. So we, we don't really have that control. So if we can trust the process, step back, surrender, and then forgive ourselves, for our own flaws, our children, whoever they are, I think we can live probably a, a little bit happier and easier. Mm. That is a powerful thing to say. Putting the time in to reflect and be thoughtful about it would be helpful. Do you have any recommendations for people about how they can do that? I mean, do you journal? Do you? Um, yeah, um, I, I do journal and especially that, like that fake it until you make it. No, because I know I've been practicing. I would write down a situation, especially a situation that I didn't particularly like the outcome. Okay, what was it? What was what did I do? What did I perceive? The perceive, remember, that's the perception. The other person, what might I have done differently? How, what will I do different next time? So a lot of times, I, what did I learn? What will I do differently? I asked myself those questions. So I would, I would definitely journal, which I think was very helpful. The other thing I do is I definitely live with gratitude. I, you know, I wake up, what am I grateful for? What do I go to bed for? What am I, you know, what was I grateful for today? And I think living with gratitude really helps to build resilience 
because it's then about saying, okay, what was right versus what is wrong. Um, but I think by doing that, and I also think if you're living into some of Brene Brown's vulnerability, if you can, and once you start doing this, ask people for feedback. Ask friends, say, this is what I'm trying to do. Help me along this. If you see this behavior, I'm trying to move away from that. Or have you noticed a difference in what I'm doing now? You know, try, try a few things out. Like put a different mask on. And then that fake it till you make it, then, then it becomes you. Well, I really appreciate everything that you've shared today. And I think that parents are going to get a lot out of how they can both build their own resilience, but also support their children in doing the same. So thank you so much for all those pearls of wisdom. And um, I look forward to your keynote that's coming up at the end of this yeah. month. And um, yeah, just I really appreciate everything you've shared today. Thank you, Shelley. Thanks for your time. We want to thank Radio 1190 for letting us use their space. If you like what you heard today and want to become a sponsor or make a donation, you can find us at penbv.org. That's P-E-N-B-V dot org. We hope today's conversation has added to your parenting well. Having a well of resources leaves us more engaged, educated, and empowered to support our children in being strong, resourceful, confident, and resilient in the face of life's many challenges and adventures. I'm Dr. Shelley Mann, and you've been listening to Parenting Well Podcast. Until next time, happy parenting.